Well, this summer I have been thinking a lot about limits and how we all have limits in life. We have physical limits and we have spiritual limits. We certainly have financial limits and we have emotional limits and so on. We have lots of kinds of limits. Um, some of those limits are things that are just kind of part of our life and the hand that's been dealt to us. Some of those limits are things that come from being Christians. And some of those limits are things that we need to kind of break through or get over. And some of those limits are things that we have to embrace and accept. And it just strikes me that our culture, that the Western culture that we tend to live in, especially our American culture, sort of always sees limits as something that we need to break through that they're generally seen as bad and obstacles to overcome. Um, but what I want to think about with us today is what does it look like for us to actually embrace some of the limits that God has given us? Um, what if those limits are meant to draw us closer to him, to help us be dependent on him? Um, what if those limits are meant to keep us healthy and strong and even humble? Well, one of the places that I'm seeing a lot of limits these days um, is by watching the Olympics, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> Probably like many of you, um, I've been watching a lot of Olympic games. Um, I mostly do this with my son, Luke, who's seven. And we've been loving pretty much all of it. Our favorite, I think, has been the swimming so far. And I have to admit, you can probably tell by, you know, being around me that I'm not a big athlete. But I'm a real sucker for inspirational sports movies and stories of all kinds. And so much so that my husband teases me about it. And one of the things that I really enjoy about watching the Olympics on NBC is they do a great job telling these little stories about the athletes and they include their families and they kind of talk about the struggles they've been through and what they've had to overcome. And one of the stories that I watched recently was about a gal, a young gal, she's 19. Uh, her name is Reagan Smith. She's a swimmer out of Minnesota. And um, she told her story of what her schedule was like um, in high school specifically in training for the Olympic games. And the thing that really stood out to me, um, listening to Reagan's story, and this is super basic, but what I was just floored by was how focused her life was. Now, I mean, I probably knew that if I would have thought about it already. Um, and I think this is the same story of all of the young people that were watching in the Olympic Games, whether they're um, teens or older. But she basically did three things in her life. <laughs> she swam, and then she swam some more, and then she swam some more. And in her extra time, she did a little bit of school and sleeping, right? So her whole life was embracing the limit of swimming, that that's all she really did. Even as a teenager, when most teenagers were out doing other things that were good things and fun things that teenagers do, like hanging out with their friends, for example, um, or maybe even working a part-time job, she was pretty much just swimming and a little bit of school. And she was okay with embracing that limit because for her, she loved to swim. And maybe even more than that, it was the thing that she wanted to do in her life, that it was her focus. And that she had a goal and her goal was to be an amazing swimmer. And obviously all that training paid off and here she is in the Olympic games. Well, so just as Olympians embrace limits, we've been learning about um, in our series, in our summer fitness goals series about training for a godly life. And Part of what that training means is embracing limits. And those limits encourage us um, to lean into Jesus even more. Well, today we're going to be specifically talking about godliness, um, the word godliness, and what that means and how we get there. 
So first, a little bit about the context of this letter. Um, I just wanted to just remind you that this is a letter, 1 Timothy, written by Paul um, for Timothy, which is like his mentee in the faith. He's quite a bit younger, and he's a pastor, and he's encouraging him and helping him, and he's already been raising him up. And much of what this letter has to say is it's, it's sort of teaching Timothy how to go about um, leading, but also how to go about leading people who have been getting a lot of mixed messages and a lot of false teaching from people outside of the church and people inside of the church. And so the context of our passage today is he's talking about some of the, the bad teaching that they've been receiving around marriage and food. Um, but I think there's a, there's a lot of truth for us today that's even greater than that. So join with me now. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to start today in verse 6, which is a little earlier than we have been, and also um, 7 and 8. So join me in verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Well, one of the themes of Paul's pastoral letters, um, which, which is the letters that he writes to individuals, is the theme of godliness. He, I don't even remember, there's like 15 or 20 times where he uses the word godly or godliness, and it's primarily in the pastoral letters. And I have to admit, going into the sermon series, I was just sort of wondering, like, what, what really is godliness? Like, it's sort of one of those Christian-y words that we throw out, and what does it really mean? And so, in true Angela form, I did a deep dive, and I just looked up, what, it, what does Paul mean by godliness? What does the, the dictionary have to say? What, what does it mean when he uses it other places? And here's one definition that I found really helpful. So I'm just going to read it slowly. It says, godliness is a careful observance of the laws of God, proceeding from love and reverence for the divine character and commands. Okay, so godliness is a careful observance of the laws of God, but really it proceeds from reverence of the divine character and commands. And so what stood out to me from that is that godliness is, it's sort of like a state of being, that it's a way that we live our life, that it's um, our behavior, it's our priorities, and it has to do with the purposes of God in our life and the plans that he has for us. And ultimately, it isn't just us following a rule or doing the right thing, X, Y, and Z, checking off the box, that it springs from a place of love and reverence. And so what exactly is reverence? That's kind of another Christian word that we don't really understand. Well, reverence is basically awe. It's a sense of awe, a sense of amazement. And it also comes from a sense of respect and love, that um, just as we might revere somebody in authority over us who we admire and respect and love, but... Um, also listen to them and want to do what they say is right. That, that's the same word that it means for us to have a sense of godliness in our lives, that we have that same love and respect, admiration, reverence towards God. And out of that, we have a life that reflects that, that we live in alignment with the purposes and the plans that he has for us. So we know that godliness really stems from that love relationship. So what do we learn about this from Scripture, from the other letters? Well, Second Peter 1.3 this is also Paul, and this is what he has to say about living a godly life. He says, verse 3, 
His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life. Okay, so same word, for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him, him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Okay, so Jesus, he's pointing towards Jesus. That Jesus' divine power has given us what we need for that godly life. And then earlier in this first letter that we talked about, 1 Timothy, um, Paul actually points to it again. So here I'm going to read from 1 Timothy. This is chapter 3, verse 16. And this is, what, this is what Paul has to say about godliness. He says, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. Okay, so the mystery of true godliness is great. But what do we know about the word mystery used in the New Testament? Well, it's basically always pointing towards Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the mystery, right? So then he follows it up and he says, He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, and was believed on in the world and was taken up in glory. Okay, so Jesus, Jesus, beyond all question, is where true godliness springs from. Okay, he is the mystery of where the godliness comes from. And what I think that means for me is that when we look into Jesus, when we're in relationship with him, and when he is our God, when he is the one that we come to and sit with, when he is the one that we listen to, that he is the source of our godliness, that his spirit changes us and helps us to be godly like he is. So then the question is, so what's the goal? How do we get there in terms of godliness? Well, we look into Jesus, um, but specifically, what does that mean for us to look into Jesus? Well, now we're going to hit back here to the first thing that we read, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. So let me read it to you again. You will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. So what does it mean for, uh, for Timothy, for us to be a good minister of Christ Jesus? Well, it means for us to be nourished, and specifically nourished on the truths of the faith and the good teaching that, in this case, Timothy had already received. And so the word nourished is a really great word because it really is kind of complicated. It isn't just a one-time eating or feeding or nourishing. It's pointing to a pattern, just like a child would be nourished in their family or a church would, would be nourished um, together and grow out in mission. It's talking, to, talking about a sense of a pattern of eating healthy, of being sustained, of flourishing, um, flourishing individually, flourishing together. And what I like to think about with this word nourishing is that it isn't just like a happenstance thing. So I don't know about you, but for me as a mom, it takes a lot of work for me to feed my family. And I have to plan the meals, I have to shop for the meals, I have to prep the meals, I have to cook the meals, and then I have to clean up after the meals, right? Which is probably my least favorite part. But um, it's a lot of work for me to do that. And it's worth it because it means that I have healthy kids and that we get to have a time together eating every night as a family. And so it's nourishing in more ways than one, right? When we, when we eat together, we're nourishing our bodies and we're also nourishing our family unit and helping us to grow together. And it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. And that's what I think of Paul is getting at here when he's talking about nourishing ourselves on the good word, um, the good teaching, that it's, it's not just about that one-time thing, that it's the process of us being nourished. And so... One of the things that um, I was thinking about in terms of being nourished is just the reality that we are surrounded by a lot of things that sometimes keep us from choosing the nourishing things, right? And so it, it kind of took me back to Michael's sermon that he preached last week, 
when he talked to us, to us about doing the time audit. So remember, he encouraged us to go through our time and sort of take notes about what we were spending time on. And I thought that was such a great reminder, um, just to be mindful of how, what we're doing with our life. And I've been doing it, maybe not as intensely as some of you, but it's definitely been in my mind and in my thoughts. And the number one thing that has stood out for me personally when I've been doing my time audit is how much time I spend on my phone, <laughs> right? So just pretend that I'm holding it for you right now, that my phone is a huge time suck and maybe even more than that, I would describe it as an energy suck, <laughs> that it, it's constantly throwing input at me um, in the form of texts and emails, but maybe even worse than that in terms of news and um, apps that I have, and it's sort of overwhelming sometimes. And I find myself just picking it up pretty much out of boredom or just kind of wanting to like do something sometimes. Like it's become a bad habit just to kind of open it up and see what's on there um, in that moment. And it's a distraction. It's a distraction from the things that are better um, in my life. And so as I've done my time audit, that's the thing that I have been really con convicted about is that I need to do a better job um, putting down my phone and not mindlessly scrolling through news articles or whatever I might be tempted towards um, because it's taking me away from the things that I really want to focus on, which is the people in my life and the things that God has given me to do. Well, I wanted to tell you a little bit of a backstory about that. So several years ago, um, when my kids were really little, um, it was when social media was starting to be like really popular. I would say it was probably like peaking in terms of people of my demographic. And um, at that point in time, I only had a computer. I didn't have a smartphone, right? So true confessions about how old I really am. And I remember spending way too much time on social media. And for me, it felt like that was my connection. Here I am at home with my kids. That was my connection to other people. But what I realized over time is that it actually wasn't making me feel really connected to other people. I mean, there was value in it, right? Maybe in keeping up with friends that are far away and whatnot. But it was actually sort of stressing me out, that it was putting me into a place of being discontent with what I had. And it was also making me like, stressed out when people would post things that were mean or that I didn't agree with. It would cause a lot of anxiety for me. And it started to chisel away at my presence in my family and my mental health. And so eventually the Holy Spirit just spoke to me really clearly, just in, the, in, quiet, in a quiet time one day, um, a quiet space, and just urged me that it was time for me to get rid of that. And so I did, and I truthfully never looked back. And I still do a little bit every now and then, but even when I do, I'm reminded <laughs> that it's just not good for me. And so that's kind of an example of a time audit that I did at a previous time. And I'm still seeing it play out in my life today, especially with news and reading things online, that it's just healthier for me to set that limit and to say, Angela, like, let's put the phone down and, and focus on the people that are, are present with you today. And then that opens up space for me to be nourished, right? So that's what we're talking about in the word today is the word nourished. And as I set the things down and say no to them, I have more space in my heart and more energy to be nourished by the good things that God has given me. Well, last week, Matt and I celebrated our anniversary, and as we typically do, we took our kids out to dinner. Yes, I know that not everybody takes their kids out to dinner on their anniversary, but it's kind of how we roll. And maybe that's because we're like not big people that eat out a lot, but um, it's, it's fun for us, it's fun for our kids. And so we decided to take our kids up the hill um, to a little restaurant up the hill that we have gone to before, that we enjoy. And, you know, it's just kind of a simple place, it's nothing fancy, um, but we like it. And 
We got there, and as soon as we walked in the door, one of our children, who will remain nameless, um, announced that they were too, too full. <laughs> they were not hungry for dinner. And honestly, this was sort of irritating. I mean, here we are, like we're trying to have a celebration, we're trying to do something fun, and this child says they're, they're not hungry and whatnot. And well, of course it comes out, you know, as, as we progress, the rest of us are eating the dinner um, and enjoying it. And the child says, well, the reason that I'm not hungry is because I had a whole bunch of goldfish crackers at four o'clock this afternoon, right? <laughs> Unbeknownst to the parents. So, hmm. Well, this is kind of like the quintessential, you know, don't eat a snack, you're going to ruin your dinner, right, of, of that story. And the thing that stood out to me is, sure, it's like easy for me to be irritated with this, um, but the truth of the matter is, is I'm kind of the exact same way, right? Like this is, this is sort of pointing towards human nature, <laughs> this story, that we tend to kind of sometimes mindlessly eat things, and I don't just mean food. I mean, we just take in a lot of content in our lives, whether it's our thoughts, whether it's our media, whether it's shopping, um, who we're hanging out with, that sometimes we don't think a lot about. And then it ends up stealing from us having an opportunity to be nourished and for the better thing, which in this case was a celebration, something that was to look, be looking forward to. And so it's just a good reminder for us that we need to have limits when it comes to what we're putting into ourselves. And the question that I'm just always asking myself now is what am I mindlessly snacking on? <laughs> when I pick up my phone, what's the goldfish for me? Well, I'm gonna close today with one type of limits um, that's related to nourishing. And I have to admit, you're probably gonna groan a little bit, but bear with me. So the, the rhythm that I'm gonna talk a little bit about is the rhythm of fasting, okay? Now groan, okay, everybody groaning. And I know that fasting is really hard for us here in America, especially. And I think that's because we are a culture that's trained to want to have a good life, right? Like we're, we have all these little sayings and I say them too. And one of my favorite sayings right now is living, living my best life, right? So if we're doing something together that um, we enjoy, I'll just kind of joke and I'll say we're living our best life, right? Or treat yourself. That's another one of our favorite sayings right now in our culture. And we like to think of ourselves as people that are living the good life, right? And I just saw a license plate today when I was driving here that said something about how their life was great because they live in Gig Harbor, <laughs> right? Like this is just the culture that we live in, that we want to always be living our best life and we want to be comfortable and we want to be happy and we want to be full, right? Full of all the good things that we think are good. So it's hard for us to fast because fasting by nature is saying no to good things, right? It's saying no to things that we consider to be good. It's a limit. It's a self-imposed limit. It's not a limit that our circumstances or anyone else puts on us. It's us pressing into a limit that we're choosing for the sake of being nourished in a different kind of way. Well, we know that fasting was a normal part of the Jewish life and Jesus fasted. He talks about it. The New Testament church practiced it and it's just kind of mentioned frequently as something that they did. And I think it's important for us to remember it's not about control, okay? It's not about manipulating God, that it's voluntary, and that it's really meant to be something that, that ultimately is useful for us in kind of a big picture kind of way. So here's a quote that I read from Adele Calhoun, who's an author and a spiritual director, and I thought this was really useful. She said, fasting is an opportunity to lay down an appetite 
an appetite for food, for media, for shopping, this act of self-denial may not seem very huge because it is just a meal or a trip to the mall, but it brings us face to face with the hunger in the core of our being. Fasting exposes how we try to keep hunger at bay and gain a sense of well-being from life's comforts. When we taste the difference between what truly nourishes our soul, the living bread and the life-giving water of Jesus, and what is not simply junk food. Okay, so that's an invitation to the truth about what fasting might look like. And fasting is something um, that I chose to talk about today in terms of limits and nourishing ourselves, because it's something that I have been growing in this summer. Um, I have been doing some intermittent fasting this summer, and I've been reading about fasting just from like a medical standpoint, primarily, and I found it to be a really useful rhythm in my life. And the main reason that I find it to be useful is this idea of limits, the very thing that God is teaching me about, that God, through fasting, God is teaching me about embracing limits, embracing limits with my food, embracing limits with my time, um, that life really isn't about me being comfortable and happy all the time, that ultimately the reason why we fast is not just, is not just so that we can say no more, but so that we can say yes to God so that we can pare back the extra things in our life and so that we can focus on him and say, God, what is it that you have for me? What's the nourishing word? What's the direction that you have for me going forward? As I peel back the layers of the clutter of life, what is the thing that you want me to say yes to? Well, as we wrap up today, I have three questions for us. So the first question is just a reminder um, from Michael's sermon last week, and I talked about it a bit today. Um, what do you observe when you looked at how you spend your time? So what did you observe? The second question is, much like those goldfish crackers, what do you find yourself mindlessly snacking on? And I don't just mean the food. <laughs> I mean that big picture. And the last question is, what's one thing, one thing going forward this week that you can do to experiment with fasting and nourishing as it's related to godliness, to pressing into Jesus?